You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's happening? What's new? Uh, it feels like it's been ages since I've been behind the mic uh, because I've just been very busy and in a good way. It's been a good start of the year so far. What is this? The 19th I'm recording this of January. I just got off a massive job. I'm not allowed to talk about too many specifics on how it was done, but I can tell you this. If you follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy, you've seen me post some uh, videos recently with some legends uh, in the business. Uh, let's just say that maybe one of these legends is really savvy with a whip. <laughs> um, yes, uh, I got to work closely with my fiance, Gina Manning, who uh, was hired to do some amazing, amazing work uh, for some big companies uh, with the Emmys and all sorts of stuff. It's been crazy. Um, and uh, it's been just a whirlwind of a month, uh, just sort of doing all that stuff and then like post-production and delivering things super quick. It's been crazy, man. Um, and uh, it, it still blows my mind that on my edit system, I have been, you know, editing and working with uh, and executive producing some of the biggest celebrities in the business. Uh, it's night and day, man. It's how this business works, right? You're uh, fucking November, December. You're like, I don't know how the, uh, I don't know how we're gonna make any money. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. Uh, and then you know, a call comes in, and I will say, uh, with these jobs, with jobs like this, uh, it just takes time, right? Reputation takes time. Sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes two years. Somebody who is a junior sees your work in this space, and then two years down the line, they become a senior, and they call you because they've always enjoyed your work. Um, and uh, it's just, you can't predict these things. The only thing you can do is just stay in it and stay going and stay with it. And, uh, you know, eventually these things come, come through. Uh, so... Uh, I will say this, I apologize for not being as present over the past week or two, just because of that. And um, I know some of the episodes have been dropping a little later or been sort of sporadic. There's a bunch of stuff going on. But before we got this gig, I was going to be hyper-focusing in January because big news, big news, there is a new show coming. So on top of the additional uh, show to In Love With The Process will be dropping on Thursdays. And yes, uh, me and Lance A. Williams are hosting a show together. If you guys loved us at, in Film Quest, if you loved the, the dynamic duo that was doing shows through that whole period of time, and Lance is one of our highest rated guests uh, prior to that on the show, um, I convinced him he has agreed. Uh, we're both teaming up to do a show uh, that we're fucking excited about. And we have been recording episodes uh, in the past few weeks. So that's why I've been a little bit lax on the episodes that I'm putting out for In Love With The Process because I have bandwidth, man. I'm, all, I'm laying in episodes for this new show as well. Uh, the new show is called Right Place, Right Time. Right Place, Right Time. And basically we tackle that specific statement or question, right? Is it all about being at the right place, right time? 
Is that the only way you can get into this business? Is that the only way you can get a sweet deal on an apartment? Is that the only way you were able to get front row tickets to Metallica, or backstage tickets to Metallica? Was it just because you were in the right place, right time? And more than not, I hear people say that to me and it agitates me because sometimes I feel like it's just a fucking excuse. <laughs> sometimes I feel like going, well, you just weren't in the right place, right time for that thing to happen. You go, well, how do I know? if I'm in the right place, right time. And if I do find myself recognizing that I'm there, how do I prepare myself for it? Like, what do I say? Am I dumping my soul out or am I reserving myself? How do I get the courage to walk out into that open field in the middle of a lightning storm and then slowly raise up a lightning rod to get hit? So uh, yes, this show is on the way. We've already recorded four or five episodes. It will start dropping at this point, probably later in this month, probably the end of January, early February. We're just trying to get enough in the queue so that there isn't a lag. Um, but that being said, I don't want you to feel like I'll be ne uh, neglecting this show because I have been hard at work booking out guests on this show as well. And we're tackling some fascinating new stuff. And your boy is getting access to really interesting folks and really deep in the industry, when we're talking about filmmaking and other industries, we start talking about food, we start talking about music, everything that you love, all of you true listeners of this show love. Um, and today's episode is a classic example of what I'm talking about. Today's episode on the show, we have the first ever on a level of the process entertainment lawyer. Now, I know so many of you are drooling about this because how many of you even know how to approach an entertainment lawyer? How many of you even know when you do get into a situation where you're trying to make a deal, suddenly someone wants to make that movie or suddenly you were offered that part in that role? How do you find a fucking entertainment lawyer, right? And if you do sit down with someone, what should, what should you be looking for? What should you be asking them about? And then for me, what the fuck does an entertainment lawyer do, right? Like, what are they doing day to day? How are they doing their day to day? What is this negotiation thing that happens? Because it seems like there isn't a formula to negotiating, right? Is it just a bunch of dudes that puff up their chest and go into a room and scream at each other? Like, how does this stuff work? And we get into all of that on today's show uh, with our guest, Joshua Lestine. He's on the show with us today. Um, and... Uh, we're going to talk about how creatives can protect themselves. We're going to talk about all the stuff that you've always wanted to know when it comes to an entertainment lawyer. And you've got me asking these questions because uh, there's a lot of shit that I want to know, right? This is one of the benefits of having this kind of show is that, you know, I can ask these questions and you all can be a part of this conversation. Before we get into it, I want to thank everybody, as always, for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. On Instagram, that is where we run our contests. That is where I do my posts. That is where you can see all these videos of celebs that we're talking about that we just did and the work we just did. It is all up there. Um, and look, this year, I'm showing a lot of respect to you super fans. Super fans. If you want to be a super fan of the show, if you want more, than just saying, hey, I'm gonna follow Mike, but I never get to see his post because Instagram decides that he's not gonna show my post to everybody that, that wants to fucking follow me. If you want to be a super fan, click on the bio in my Instagram and you can sign up with your email to be a part of the mailing list and to be a super fan of the show. So many of the folks 
um, that do so win contests. We've been sending out limited edition pins. We've been giving you guys the opportunity to buy merch. I do have t-shirt merch still available at inlovewiththeprocess.com. And those of you who have bought t-shirts and haven't got them yet, it's just because I've been backlogged. Bear with me. Please bear with me and we'll figure it all out. Um, but yeah, man, so much going on. I'll get into it at the back end of the show. All right. So without further ado, let's let's dig into the other side of the business, the side of the business that we don't talk about enough on this show. We're talking about the business side of the movie business, and we're talking about how to protect yourself, how to deal with executives and with deal makers, and how to find a great entertainment lawyer on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Josh, thanks for being on the show. How are you, man? Hey, Mike. Hey, thank you. Thank you, audience. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm doing well. It's a, it's a cloudy but still beautiful Friday in Los Angeles. It very much is. <laughs> what part of, are you uh, west side? Are you east side? What part of LA are you? I, I'm a strict West Sider. You know, I moved to LA in 2011. I spent the first year living out in Calabasas, but I've lived in Santa Monica ever since. So oh, that been nice. 13 years now, something like that. Um, and my, my, I joke that my LA starts in Santa Monica and it ends somewhere around Hollywood and Vine where I teach, um, uh-huh. and like to, to go downtown or go to Koreatown or to go anything East of that is like basically going to another city. Like we, we have to get a hotel room or something if we're going downtown. Well, it's very, I feel the same way about going to the West side. <laughs> yep. 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 That's yeah, yeah, how a, most people feel, right? It's a huge <laughs> divide. <or> the other. <laughs> Huge divide met in the middle by, you know, Hollywood, which ironically for anybody that doesn't live in California, they're always like, what is Hollywood like? It's so glamorous. It's like, no, it's actually, it's actually the dumpster in the middle of those two places. Hollywood is an interesting place, although I will say I love dining uh, uh, in Hollywood. I, any, anything above sunset, dining above sunset is always great. Yeah, of course, man. Of course. There's a lot of awesome spots out there. And there's a lot of really great history. Uh, in this city uh, that I love to sort of stumble into and be like, oh, fuck, they shot this here. And wow, this is this. Uh, it's 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 beautiful as far as that's concerned. I, ironically enough, my favorite place, uh, and this isn't a plug, but just like my favorite restaurant right now is Grandmaster Records. Oh, yeah. Which is actually the old ARC recording studio where Elvis and Johnny Cash and a bunch of people used to record. Um, and they've now turned that into a restaurant and a rooftop and a, and a music venue of some sort. So that's uh, for, for, for music lovers out there. It's a, it's a good place to go. It's a hip place, man. I've been there a few times. It's a cool spot. Um, well, let, let's, let's get in here, man. Let's, let's get started. So, uh, how did you, how did you come to get into entertainment law? How did it start? For oh, you? oh gosh. Oh gosh. You know, there are many different, um, you know, they, they talk about synchronicity right throughout life and you see these things in your signs and, and, and you, I have a bunch of stories on how I came about to become an entertainment lawyer, but really it was kind of, you know, the, the starting jumping off point was, if you remember back um, in the good old days with VHSs, you mm-hmm. know, you fast forwarded very, very past the end credits and they would have, you know, the precursors to behind the scene footage where they had interviews mm-hmm. with actors and, and the, the early blooper reels and stuff like that. And, you know, the Star Wars uh, special edition VHS box set that came out in the 90s. Um, had a ton of interviews with like George Lucas and then Alan Ladd Jr., who was the the Fox executive, oh, 20th right. century Fox executive, who you know kind of ushered in and brought in George Lucas in the deal. Um, and I was just kind of fascinated by this. You know, I I, um, I grew up in rural Iowa, a town of, you know, maybe 500 people. But like I, I was, you know, fascinated with the idea that there's actually people who are behind the screen making the things that we watch. Right. Yeah, you know, in, yeah, in, in yeah. that those early Star Wars behind the scenes was like the first time I saw, you know, when they were driving past the the pieces of the Death Star made out of uh, uh uh, ping pong tables and they were throwing <laughs> bottle rockets and, and fireworks at it and stuff. And you saw that how they were so hands-on and making the, 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 the ships and the scenes and stuff, you know, it really just opened my eyes being a small kid in the middle of nowhere that there's like 
oh, an entire industry, an entire business of people who do this thing. Um, and it's not just, you know, the glamorous A-list celebrities that we see, you know, in front of the camera, but there's just an entire business behind this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I knew early on growing up as a kid that that's what I, I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the business of film and TV making. And I always figured that law was my my best path of going about doing that. Um, I always wanted a law degree as well and, and knew that it was kind of my 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 chance to get out of Iowa, um, get out of Dodge, if you will, and, and come to Los Angeles and try my hand um, at entertainment. So I moved to L.A. in 2011, 2010, 2011, um, and I didn't know a single person in the state of California, but I did have the phone number of my um, aunt's ex-husband's boss's wife's sister's kid uh, <laughs> who was an attorney who was an attorney at um american idol studios um this was back in 2011 so this was the the first american idol um and she had just left um what was was then summit entertainment which got bought out by Lionsgate mm. um through through the the th they were the ones who initially produced the first twilight and with after the twilight success Lionsgate kind of gobbled them up bought them out of business and and you know um i spent my first summer of law school you know going back and forth between Lionsgate and american idol studio working these two jobs, you know, working for free, right? Because this was 2011 right. and I was a quote unquote intern. Um, right. That's but, how the business uh, often know, works. Yeah. I, I was, I was fresh off the farm, if you will, from Iowa. I'd only been in LA for, you know, five, six months or so and was, you know, working at these two major studios um, pretty much full time. And from there, you know, I managed to work um, at a lot of different uh, uh, high-end studio production companies. I worked at Stars Entertainment in home theatric distribution, DVD and Blu-ray sales when that was the thing. Mm -hmm. um, I worked at um, Discovery Channel Studios working on unscripted reality production, Ice Road Truckers, documentary series, um, Survivor-esque type shows. Uh, I did a brief stint at Marvel Studios where I got to work on some of the, um, the, the voiceover deals with their animated projects and got to work on Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel's voiceover agreement for the original uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Um, I got to work on uh, asset VFX creation on, on Avengers Age of Ultron and got to help uh, work on the deals that created the Hulkbuster armor. Um, and, you know, from, from there, it, it was just a, a huge jumping off point in terms of what I wanted to do um, as far as being an entertainment lawyer is concerned. Cause it's like, you know, I don't think people really realize that there is uh, uh, an attorney for every cog or every facet of the entertainment industry. And for me, it was interesting to know how to do just about anything, whether that's, you know, make a 
indie film, make a student film, make a blockbuster film, make a $200 million film, mm. um, make, make a YouTube short, make a television series, make a, you know, a record label, make a, uh, a music recording, you know, learning the different ins and outs, all these things, merchandising deals, VFX, actors, writers, directors, producers, you know, everyone that goes into and everything that goes into making entertainment product, it has to have some form of contract, some form of deal. Um, and the more exposure I get as a lawyer to the, the various different types of medias and mediums out there, mm -hmm. the more uh, effective of an attorney I can be. So I really, you know, prided myself early on in my career exposing myself to as many different facets of the business as possible. Um, after graduating law school, I spent some time at CAA, uh, worked in the mailroom, did the CAA thing for nine months <laughs> to a year. Um, well, I've heard, I, I've heard, I've heard stories about that stuff too, but let me pause you for a second here because yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm, to give, I'm rambling. I, I love it, man. So to give you a bit of context on me, I don't know how much you know about me, but I'm a director. I've been a director for like 20 something years at this point. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the folks that listen to the show all are either in the industry or want to get into the industry or young, trying to get up in the industry. Of course. And I'm excited to have you on the show because you're the first entertainment lawyer that we've had on this show. And, oh boy. <laughs> and whenever whenever we talk entertainment lawyers as creatives, it's always sort of like, well, I'll deal with that when I need to deal with that. It's always that yeah. kind of thing, right? And so I definitely have a lot of questions for you as we sort of press through this, but let's go back to when you were talking about being um, like a P, not even a PA, but an assistant in these different offices when you started. What kind of stuff are you doing? You just are you drafting up contracts? Like, how does it start for you guys? Like, what is the nitty gritty for the, for you? So, so really, it, it, there is like a leveling up to it. And when I first started, you know, this was again 2011. I had just moved from Iowa, not even a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, and the only job I had had back in Iowa was I was a restaurant manager and I was a bar manager. <laughs> um, so, so my <laughs> skills weren't necessarily directly transferable uh, to to working in an office or working in entertainment. But funny enough, you know, one of the reasons I got the job at Lionsgate was because at the time they were working on Mad Men and I bragged about how good of a Manhattan I could make. Um, so it just, you know, goes to show you that you don't necessarily need to have nepotism or ins or connections or even have worked in the business. Sometimes it's just yourself and your interesting story that, that will get you the job. Right. Um, but, you know, starting out and in, in even starting out now with, with junior attorneys or interns that I have, it's a lot of paper pushing um, at American Idol. I was, you know, looking to make sure that the, um, the, the checks that were being issued to the music publishers and record labels, they aligned with the amount of usage for the songs mm. that corresponded with the show. So like my first job was literally to sit there and watch American Idol with a stopwatch, um, record, you know, with the stopwatch, how long a song would play in the background have a little sheet of paper, write it down, and then make sure that those time slottages allotted to the royalties that they were paying. And then, right. uh, you know, you never realize how much music is, goes into a show until you sit down with a with a stopwatch and listen to it and try to time it out. But, you know, that's a, a very, how do I say, 
beginner skill set to like, you know, what I do now, which is on any film or TV program that I work on, I I work directly with the music supervisor, the hiring, uh, the hired uh, composer, Mm -hmm. um, and then the, 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 uh, the producers. And and maybe if there's an internal music studio executive, you know, we'll work all together on, on the music budget and we'll work on making sure that we get all the, the songs for the show or film cleared. And then obviously do the license for the entire song or the show. Um, and, you know, I outsource some of that, you know, smaller paperwork stuff now to, to junior associates and junior attorneys, but it's like, you know, every step along the way teaches you how to, you know, make a film or make a TV show. Cause it, it's, it's, it's like building a house, right? Yeah. The size and dimensions and the scope of the house change, but kind of the, the walls and the cement and the pillars and stuff that doesn't. Um, so, so, you know, starting off in your career as an entertainment lawyer, you do a lot of paper pushing. I still do a lot of paper pushing. I'll be honest. Sure. Um, sure. You know, I do, do a lot of still organizing and sending things for signature and helping clients figure out where to sign on the dotted line. But, you know, most of my skill sets now are reserved to hopefully, you know, bigger things, you know, negotiating larger deals. Um, I do a lot of things that are a, a little bit newer novel. Um, in this past year, I, I was, uh, I did a large um, code development deal between Warner Brothers Discovery and um, Chip and Joanne Gaines's company for a set of uh, podcast series related to home and garden television and stuff. Um, you know, trying to attach actors to help find financing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, overseeing, you know, I got a film going into production on Sunday, um, doing, you know, new and novel deals as it relates to animation, AR, VR, virtual production spaces, um, the, the cool thing about my job is that it never ends. <laughs> it sounds that way, dude. And so, okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and I'm going to be most of the audience because when we Please. hear, when we, when we think of entertainment lawyers and we hear about negotiations and deals, it's like, Whoa, what, what is actually happening? You know what I mean? Like oh, it's, it's, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like such a pat, like a blanket statement to be made. But then from my experience in the business, you understand that it's kind of fluid and it's kind of all over the place as far as how deals are coming together and that kind of thing. Like, how do you find your footing when you start, when you go into making a deal for something, you know? You know, you know, gosh, after having done it for so long, it's, it's kind of one of those things that looking back in hindsight, it's even hard to describe because after so long, after so many deals, you just kind of pick up this touch and feel for it. Hmm. And like you said, it's such a fluid process. The, the deal making in general, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of back and forth. It's a lot of email negotiations, but oftentimes there's a lot of backdoor text messaging. There's a lot of favor exchanges. There's a lot of phone calls Hmm. and being like, Hey, you know, let's be real with one another. Let's take off our lawyer hats and put on our, our person's hats and have a conversation about what's going on. Um, every negotiation is different. It can be as simple as a, you know, email offer exchange back and forth. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. To add complex as you know i get in battles with with people who are on my own side over you know the direction of you know seven eight figure deals as it relates to to ip and you have partners you know trying to navigate and work together and have their own separate interests within and inside the deal um that takes you know i i I oftenly joke is 
uh, that you know it takes everything from a butter knife to a fine <laughs> to a fine fine sharpened scalpel mm-hmm. and everything in between and some some tools and tasks you need a butter knife or a hammer and some t- and some tools and tasks you need a scalpel so um, you know it, it's really um, relationship driven yeah and you know it's changed and evolved especially in in the last 10 years that i've been doing it you know when i when i started in 2010 2011 i think there was a much um, different attitude as it relates to negotiating and deal making and stuff and i think there was a little bit more of a um, how do i say hmm. Attorneys were more inclined to put up roadblockers, maybe a little bit more challenging, a little bit more difficult. Um, Contracts were even written in a way that they weren't necessarily friendly to, to, you know, talent being able to read them and digest them. And there was all, you know, right. right. I mean, that's always, that always seems to be the case anyways. I I find like whenever I'm dealing with, or whenever I was dealing with, uh, you know, contracts and that kind of stuff, it, it feels like the art is writing a contract that is complicated to read <laughs> complicated so, to read so that the talent just goes yeah 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 okay fuck it and then they I, just skip over like oh you also have the rights to sell me a merch and you have the rights <laughs> to do all these other things that are in there i yeah. i think that that was the prevailing sentiment for a long time but a- as of the last especially after the pandemic it, the, the deal making is happening too fast it's it's too um too fluid. Nobody has time to play hide the ball with these things as much as they used to. So like I know Netflix, Apple, Amazon, they've done away with much of their long form agreements in favor of shorter documents that people can actually read and understand because it's just like we, you know, we're spending too much time on the deal making process when it's like, we got to, we got to get people back to work. We got to, we got to get things moving and flowing. Um, And even myself, you know, as a deal maker, I, I often say I'm a deal maker, not a deal breaker. I'm there to try to make things happen and find creative solutions for everything um you know in 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 again i do feel like there's been a mentality switch of that over the last you know maybe 10 years sure and even with with clients of varying ages you know some some of my clients want me to go in there and you know beat my chest and pound on the table and rah 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 and you know i gotta kind of explain to them that that's not as effective deal making um (laughs) as as, as it it once used to be i guess right right the bullying doesn't work anymore yeah people don't really respond to that the same way that they used to i mean people will just try to avoid you and not deal with you um if if you're the proverbial bully in the room i mean still bullies will still get their way you know but but the the attitude and sentiment towards it has definitely changed yeah yeah it's interesting right because then I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're looking from a bird's eye view, right, something happens, there's a project that shows up, there's a certain amount of money that's allocated for that project. And then so everybody's trying to get the best deal that they possibly can based upon the the funds that are there. Everybody's trying to get compensated for the best way. And then, you know, you, you understand that there's a big difference between these giant, giant corporations and then like me, you know, average Joe guy who's been waiting for his opportunity, suddenly gets an opportunity to direct something, walks in the room and go, I don't want to fuck this up. And so you go through the process of signing a contract and then you don't realize what's been hidden in that contract, contracts and everything else. And that's the hope that you have is that you hire or you work with an entertainment lawyer to protect you and all that sort of thing. Because 
most most creatives don't even think twice about legal and 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 really don't start thinking about legal until they've been fucked a few times and then they start thinking about legal you know what i mean yeah and and you know it's not even just about getting fucked as much as it is, you know, we can help elevate a deal in where it's like, Hey, you know, they're paying you a fixed compensation. Well, have you ever thought about like performance metrics or have you ever thought about this, that this, that, or the next thing we have the benefit of having seen so many different styles and types of deals across so many different medias and mediums again, that we can, you know, become a little creative in our, in our terms of, of, of what we call ask. Right mm-hmm. when we go back with, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I've never been in a situation where it's like maybe once in the last fourteen years of my career have I been in a situation where someone's like, you know, I'm going to pull this deal right from you right now because you're asking for something, mm, and even right. then, it's like, why would you want to deal with that person? They sound like a crazy person. <laughs> um, it's know? true. Well, I mean, th- and, there is empty so- mouths don't get fed. Empty mouths don't get fed, and even yeah. you know. It's 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 really interesting because I've worked at some of the tippy top, you know, the CAA and some of the other law firms that represent the CAA clients of the world, and it's like you know the the difference between the 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 lawyers and agents and managers they of course have their top zero zero one percent clients but for all the rest of the ninety nine percent of the clients they're not as as high up as the, as that one percent client is right but they they kind of use the insider knowledge that they gain from that to to elevate those other people so even if you are you know a Joe Schmo on somebody's roster, you're gaining from the benefit of having them know, you know, they've done director deals for David E. Kelly. So mm-hmm. even if you're a baby director, they can maybe suggest or recommend or, or they, they've seen something before that can make your deal a little bit better. Well, yeah, this is interesting, right? <clears throat> because we're talking at Hollywood level here, but so many of us start before that. We start way down. A lot of us start in other businesses that don't have the same respect uh, for the creatives. Like you start talking about working in the commercial world. You start talking about working for music videos. You start working in all these other businesses where essentially those businesses have the upper hand and they're kind of bullying creatives into, you know, this is the fucking gig. Take the job. Here's how much it is. And if you don't take the job, the next guy's going to take the job. And these businesses don't, or these, this level of the business don't necessarily have unions. They don't necessarily have protection. All that stuff's there. And if you start to bring in protection, then the clients get scared away and they run off because they don't want to deal with it. And so um, there's so many of us as we come up through this business, we're afraid to ask for things that we think we should have. Like we're afraid to ask whether it's for right compensation or accreditation or, uh, you know, to uh, just specific things to protect ourselves. I'm sure you deal with this a lot when you have newcomers sort of rolling in and, and for the first time sort of dealing with an entertainment lawyer and going, uh, am I allowed to ask for these things? Like, how do you, how do you uh, talk, deal with these clients that are afraid to ask for what they need, you know? Yeah, you know, it's really not, I mean, yes, to some degree, it is about what you're asking about, like, keep it reasonable, obviously, don't, you know, overplay your hand, but it, it's not 
so much about what you're asking for as much as it is how you're asking. Okay. You know, I, I, again, I have a film starting on Sunday and we're going out to cast deals and, and we're um, negotiating with, you know, probably just a day player. He has no agent or no manager. And, you know, he came back and asked for a lot of stuff, but he did it in just such a way that was so respectful and made total sense. And, you know, I don't think we ultimately ended up giving him a lot of what he asked for. <laughs> but it, but I, I definitely remember in the back of my head saying, hey, kudos to him because he really gets this. You know, he's he's asking for things like mileage, um, you know, because he's got to drive or asking, you know, for this, that or the next thing. Um, but he's doing it in a very respectable way mm. um, and, 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 and in a way that, you know, is articulating, you know, why these are reasonable, make sense. Even, you know, for, for, for a lot of times, you know, we're, we're, we're all on the same team in terms of trying to put out the best entertainment project. So even couching things from the perspective of, of this will help me do my job better, you know, to, to the end result, like that, mm. that is a good argument yeah. as to you know, why you shouldn't have to work 14 hour days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And, and I mean, I've negotiated with crew before being a producer and, and, you run into two different types, right? You have the crew that is essentially dealing with, uh, you know, their past issues, their past situations. They're coming with oh, all, yeah. all sorts of trauma to the oh, table. Yeah. And that trauma is forcing them to be kind of bullish to a certain extent going like, I don't do shit unless I get this and this and this and this and this. Yep. And, and I think when you're talking about, uh, you know, asking and not being a jerk about it and asking it the right way, it's understanding that that right off the bat, if someone showed up to a table and go, well, I don't do shit without this, then you're shutting down the conversation. The conversation essentially is like, well, I don't want to, I, I either have to pay you that or I don't have to pay you that. Well, let me find somebody else. I don't have to pay you that. You know what I mean? As yeah, I mean, even by natural instinct, if someone you know writes that to me or, or says that to me in my office, and it's like, man, I really don't want to go to work for this person, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm less inclined to even go back to my team and ask them to make accommodations. You know, you can almost even get the other side to be an advocate for you just by how you present yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's smart. It's it's smart to actually think of it that way. I, I think that people just get weird when it comes to legal and the whole argument of like, this is business, it's not personal. I kind of, I, I bucket that argument consistently because in our business specifically, we're in the, in the art of taking what is personal and making it valuable. And so there is this mix of personal and business that happens, especially in the entertainment world. And I think having such a closed minded viewpoint on it where it's like, this isn't biz this isn't personal, this is business, uh, puts you in the wrong argument to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, maybe not personal versus business, but like I, I do feel like there is my my how do I the, the artistic persona versus your 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 private life, so to speak. You know, when I talk about going out and negotiating deals for my clients, I'll often like kind of um, allude to or um, reference. Remember the old um, sheepdog and um coyote sketches from looney tunes oh where yeah, they, yeah. Would, like, <laughs> they would like show up show up every morning and be like hey ralph hey fred and then you know, have the lunch pails and they would punch their their ticket but as soon as the whistle blew they would be <laughs> pounding the snot out of each other and setting up booby traps and doing all these things to try to you know get one up on the other person 
But as soon as the whistle blew, you know, they immediately stopped. They punched out their clock and were like, good night, Fred. Good night, Ralph. And went home and had their, you know, private lives. Um, and, and to me, entertainment has kind of always been like that. You know, I, I get into a lot of heated, a lot of passionate arguments, a lot of, you know, things that I guess it, it, it feels personal in at the time, but at the end of the day, you know, I try to keep in, in the back of my head that we're all people, we're all trying to get fed. Um, we're all trying to get cool stuff made. Um, and, and, and generally speaking, you know, I, I, unless someone is going to actually get hurt or die or something like that, you know, we're in the, we're in the business of making content that makes people happy. Mm. Um, there's a lot of other jobs out there in the world that involve, you know, to, much more serious matters um so as long as some it doesn't involve the risk of somebody getting hurt i usually (laughs) try to take things pretty lightly all right what would the ad reads be without a truck showing up right when i start them (laughs) Uh, I'm going to take a minute here, and we want to talk about the men and women that support the show and the men and women that continuously support the show. Uh, And I'm talking about our friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in the market to build yourself a computer, uh, I just did the whole last project on my Puget. If you're in the market to build a computer, look no further. Go to PugetSystems.com. There you can build a machine based upon the software you use. So if you're looking to build an editor like a Premiere machine or a Resolve machine, um, uh, these guys are the best at it. Uh, they're cheaper than actually going with some of the larger systems that exist out there. PCs are upgradable. I love my Puget system. Can't say enough great things about it, man. You know, you've been listening to the show. I'm excited for a new year with these cats. Get some plans. We'll see what we can make happen. Uh, go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. Um, supporting the show still, our friends over at Fujifilm. Uh, we just shot with the uh, Fujifilm uh, GFX 102s beautiful cameras large format cameras shot some beautiful stuff with them might have been stuff with dudes with whips who knows um but you can find all that stuff at uh my instagram at mike petchy and if you want to support the show please go check out fujifilm's instagram it's in the description of this episode look at their new cameras if you're looking for a camera here's what works so well for us Having a large format camera that shoots gorgeous video and also shoots gorgeous large format photos without a, us having to change the lighting. That's huge, man. That's huge. So we're able to get three times the content in one sitting. So if you're someone that is looking for a multifunctional camera, a camera that we're, that uh, enables you to keep up with your client's ridiculous demands, <laughs> check out Fujifilm and check out the new GFX 102. It's a great camera. Uh, also supporting the show, our friends over at Boca Rentals. If you are in uh, Los Angeles or Las Vegas, and they even sub-rent all over the world, if you're looking for the coolest lenses, the lenses that are used to shoot all your favorite TV shows, those anamorphic sweet lenses, those really strange bokeh out of focusy lenses, the beautiful camera support systems, if you're looking for a snorri cam unit on the West Coast, the only people that have that are Boca Rentals. Check them out. Go to BocaRentals.com. Check them out on Instagram. And go over there before you have a project and make a relationship with these guys. That, I keep saying, is imperative. 
If you're someone that is a filmmaker, go make friends with your local rental company because you'll be able to get sweet deals, you'll get support, you'll get training, you'll get your hands on all this new equipment and gear, you'll be able to figure it out so that you can pull it off when you finally, you know, finagle your way into that job. So go check out Boca Rentals. I love those guys. Finally, supporting the show, our friends over at Black Magic. Uh, I use DaVinci Resolve religiously, religiously use that program for color grading. I'm trying to make my adjustment into editing on it. I'm a slow beast, but so many people that listen to the show edit now on DaVinci Resolve. Um, and I still use my Black Magic 6K Pro. I've got the new one that I have to put together, but. On that last project I just did, I just shot all sorts of really cool uh, inserts and overlays with my Blackmagic camera. It's my favorite rig uh, to have sitting next to my computer when I need to just shoot stuff. It's such a good rig to have. And if you notice, I've got two different companies that, that provide two different types of cameras, right? And I firmly believe that in our world, you don't have to be a brand loyalist i think that each and every one of these places design stuff that is specific to them and that is valuable that they make i love what fujifilm does with their cameras and i love what blackmagic does with their cameras as well so um if you want any sort of details from me on how i use these rigs or what my favorite cameras are write me a message on instagram i'll respond i've been trying to keep up i'll keep up with you guys um and that's it finally if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, that will be the hub for every podcast that we're doing on this show. Plus, that'll be the place that you can go to sort through episodes based upon subject material, to read about our sponsors, to read about the amazing musicians that donate music to the show. We do music spotlights and all sorts of really great stuff with all these folks. As we push through 2024, there'll be contests and new merch and all sorts of fun shit. We're going to try to hit the road a few more times this year. Uh, we're very excited. Even the truck backing up is super excited. <laughs> all right, let's get back to the show. So let's say that you're someone that is uh, on the hunt for an entertainment lawyer. And for, for most folks, it's like, oh, I have a deal that's potentially going to happen. I have something that's going to come through for me or I'm about to start a film. Like, uh, you know, what are the things that uh, someone new to this should be looking for when looking for legal representation? Um, reputation is everything. And kind of going back to what we were saying, like people don't want to work with jerks, um, especially anymore. The, the more and more studio clients that I have, the more and more we shun um, reps, agent managers, and attorneys that just make the deal-making process that much more difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of, you know, um, I, I try to build a one-on-one -on -one relationship with all my clients. So, you know, if your attorney isn't really interested in getting to know you as a person, that's kind of a red flag because they need to know 
why it is that you need to ask for certain things and, and what it is is important, what is important to you to ask for in negotiating a deal. Um, so finding a, an attorney that, that, that will give you that time and attention. It, it's tough. It is very tough. Um, mm. but you know, be on the lookout for somebody that, that seems like they, they, they're not looking to blow every single deal for you. Um, I think, I think, I think, you know, you can, I can go online and I can look at attorney profiles and tell you pretty quick who I think is going to blow a deal and not. Maybe, what maybe you, I shouldn't. I was going to say, what are you looking for? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You never judge a book by its cover, but sometimes yeah, yeah. you can. Sometimes yeah, yeah, you can yeah. judge a book by its cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, relationships is all what this business is all about, right? I mean, that's the most valuable thing for you as an attorney is your, your prior relationships, your reputation, that seems to be everything that you guys stand on, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, you know, I will be negotiating with an attorney or against an attorney or against an agent and manager on one project, but then they'll be my on my team because they represent another client of mine on another project. So there is this, you know, you got to compartmentalize things it's, a little bit. It's wild, um, man. That's wild because it sort of goes against how you would normally have it in exchange with someone. You know what I mean? Because it's like sort of like a hyper real exchange process that you're doing here where it's like, okay, so then this is just business and this isn't personal. And how are you having those? I remember hearing the story about like uh, George Miller, right? And George Miller mm -hmm. supposedly uh, was getting sued or was in legal battles with Warner Brothers for Fury Road because of whatever I read on the internet for that. And then he, at the same time, he was like walking down the hall and then also doing production on something else for them. It's, yep. a, it's a weird fucking business when it comes to this shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, Scarlett Johansson, you know, was going to sue Disney for $200 million. And they're like, well, we can't really be in a position to lose our, our Scar, Scar Joe. Um, <laughs> let's make a deal. It's, it's yeah, the optics are a lot in this business. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. So, all right. So let's say that you, you think you find an entertainment lawyer, like you've done a little mm -hmm. bit of looking around. I mean, mostly for me, I'd be asking opinions of other folks and people that know things. And, but so then you finally sit down with this person for the first time. Like what, what are the three questions that you should ask this person when you start? You know, how first, first and foremost, how big is your client roster? Um, Second, obviously, how are they going to collect pay? And and third, how do they see the relationship going? Is this just a one-off thing? I mean, and in and, and two, I think you'll kind of know some of the answers to these questions upon, you know, getting that far in the process. But like, you know, for me, I am very much I, I will only take on clients usually that I'm trying to build a longer term relationship with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it 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 is very rare where someone comes to my office and is like, Hey, I got a deal. And then I never, you know, reach out back to that person again or something. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, I mean, I, I would say even just finding an attorney who's generous enough with their time to give you five seconds is, 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 is already speaking volumes. Yeah. Cause you guys are so um, busy. You guys are so busy all the time. How, and like, we only make money if we're billing. Uh, some of us, yeah, right? um, yeah. And, and then there's there's a huge difference between entertainment litigators and entertainment transactional practitioners like myself, right? Like I don't go to court, I don't um, wear a suit, I don't argue in front of a judge. To me, the the litigator personality is always going to come off a little bit more um, aggressive. Which, if that's the type of attorney that you want, then you know 
finding someone who's a hybrid litigator, um, contract negotiator is probably your best bet. If you want somebody that has, you know, more experience in terms of just like playing the Hollywood game and, and knowing mm. the ins and outs of the relationships and the personalities, you know, finding somebody like me who's had time at CAA and at, um, you know, some of the larger, uh, talent law firms in town, knowing, knowing that stuff is, is sometimes more important than knowing the law. Mm. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, when, when you're at that tippy top level, it kind of doesn't matter what the contract says anymore. Cause it's all about horse trading and, and leveraging, you know, right. your status and, 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 and calling people's bluffs and stuff. Yeah, right. You know, Interesting. If Ali, if Ali Wong doesn't want to sign her deal, Netflix has got a hard time pressing Ali Wong to sign her deal. Right, right, right. Because yeah, right. Because then you've as business can be so toxic when it comes to that stuff too. <laughs> well, you like like it's like I fuck like I've made it. I've got my weight, and then the the only way that you can get a lot of things through the finish line is that you have to throw your fucking weight around too. It's like such a wild business man it really it's is it's a wild business it's it's no no two days are ever the same um it's it's chaotic it's uh you know it's it's beautiful and i love it yeah <laughs> so um what's what's a what's what's your day to day like for stuff are you just uh you know do you have a, a a desk full of like contracts that you're like hey i got to go through these things or are you going out and taking lunches and and uh you know spreading out your uh your contact list like what is a day-to-day like for you yeah a, a little bit of both you know i try to um chunk my day into kind of like three different categories so like in the morning i'll do more of my heavy lifting in terms of contract drafting reading longer contracts and more complex contracts issues because it's still quiet at the time in the morning um you know i usually do two or three business lunches or two or three business dinners per week um, in, in the afternoons usually is where I spend my time rolling calls and having more meetings and client, um, interactions. Um, and then at night, you know, I, I do a lot of client dinners and go to shows and go to client events and networking events and things of that nature. So it, it's a hybrid of all of those things. Hmm. Interesting. And so are you, are you signing, um, like younger talent? Are you signing like newer, like directors or are you just sort of processing, uh, like, uh, let me rephrase this question. Are you signing someone that comes to you without a project or is it always someone that walks in with a project and then the, re- then the relationship starts? No, you know, I'm, I'm keen to look at talent early on and especially, you know, ones that are interested in building relationships early with an entertainment lawyer. I feel like that, that already shows a level of seriousness and prowess to what they do, right? Like, like my clients have to be professionals and they have to take their job just as seriously as I do. Mm-hmm. Um, even broaching to start having those conversations of, of just getting your foot in the door with a lawyer says to me that like, you mean business. Um, so not all of my clients have projects, but they, but they may not get, you know, gold star attention callbacks immediately or whatnot. Right. Um, but, but we do, I do do a lot of what I like to call hip pocketing, meaning, you know, I will chat with up and coming arter, artists, actors, writers, directors, um, watch them throughout their career, watch them on TikTok, watch them on Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever, and, you know, build a dialogue with them as they move about their career and, and be in a place where it's like, Hey, when you, when you do finally need me, you'll know how to, you'll know how to contact me. Yeah. That's, um, that's fascinating, right? Because that's, that's kind of the, that's the thing with our business. And this is something that I've talked to my 
my agents and my reps about too, where, you know, uh, everything that, that goes in, like I've got two films of development right now and everything that goes in, uh, either is super hot. So it could be hot. <laughs> it can be hot that morning. And then by the afternoon, it could be cold. And then the next day it's hot and then it's cold for six months and then it's hot and then it's cold. And so when you're someone that is trying to prep for this and I like to front load as much as I possibly can as a director. I like to be as prepared as I possibly can. I like to have all my directors prep done before I show up to a set. And I'm the same way when it comes to uh, producing and productions. And I like to have relationships with a production designer for months and months, maybe even years mm -hmm. before we even work together. Yep. And I, I find that when you get into the business side of the business, it's harder to do that because most business people don't even take your call until they're like, uh, there's a fucking check coming in. All right, great. Take the call. Now it's time to have this conversation. And then it just feels like everything's just being rushed. And then you're wide-eyed sitting in that office staring at a contract that you're not trained on how to fucking read. And you're just like, is this the right way to do this? And, and I feel like so many people go that route and then especially young directors or, or young talent walk out of the back end going, I think I was, I think, I, I think I was all right. And then they talk to their buddy and their buddy's like, dude, you were fucked on that deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, how do you, as somebody that doesn't have a project that's boiling right now, how do you set up these relationships with these folks in order to be better prepared for when it is boiling? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a good question. I I go back to the word of mouth referrals and the networking and setting up meetings. You know, um, I have clients that I'll hip pocket. You know, and they won't have a project for years and years and years, but they'll you know keep me updated every twelve to six months or so. And then when that thing finally does come in, you know, I I remember who they are and. You know, I don't necessarily move heaven on earth to make sure that their deal is, you know, the, the most important thing on the roster, but I do try to make sure that they feel taken care of. Right, right. No, and it, 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 I mean, it makes sense. Like, it, 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 I, it, I feel the same way when it comes to agents and management, too. Like, the, the only way you guys get paid is if a deal goes through, and then the percentage mm -hmm. happens, and then you guys make your money. And so... Um, of course, you have to prioritize. You have to prioritize the deals that are going through because I assume they take so much of your fucking bandwidth to sort of process that stuff anyways. It's just like that milky entrance, you know, for, for many of us that are trying to get our first thing green lit or get through, get through that hurdle or break through the glass ceiling. It's this sort of like milky space that we're in where it's like, ah, fuck. And, and then half the time it, it ends up becoming that chicken and egg deal. And I think you see this specifically when you're trying to get a project off the ground where you have people say, hey, look, uh, you, I'm not going to give you the financing until you get the actor. And the actor goes, uh, I'm not going to give you the actor until you get the fucking financing. <laughs> and so like this, many projects just end up in this like, you know, murky sort of uh, space before they can even get going, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, how do you like... So, so, so the, the thing that I would say to that is that, you know, as an artist, um, you are constantly selling yourself, right? And, yep. and I think even to a lawyer, like, look, if, if they're any good at what they do, 
they they're they have an eye for talent like we wouldn't be in this business if we didn't have an eye for talent if we weren't looking for the next thing the same way that an agent or manager is maybe like we don't have the same people don't think that we have the same level of interest or skill set as an agent or manager but if if you have a real knowledge and caring about entertainment like you do Mm -hmm. Uh, but like you know you're 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 selling yourself to us the same way you're selling yourself to the studio to the agents and managers um that you want to represent why are you different and why are you worth representing and why are you worth wasting time on even if you don't have a deal right 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 because that's true right you guys are taking a risk when you take somebody in or you and I mean, it may not, well, I guess it kind of is a financial risk to a certain extent, but it's more of like a time risk for you guys. Well, it's a financial risk to the extent that if I'm spending an hour on, on a matter for you and I'm not, yeah. you know, billing, that's four ninety nine an hour that I'm not collecting on a matter that I can bill on. Yeah. 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 No. Um, but, but, you know, it, 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 like for me personally, I, I very much am looking at talent and, and, looking to see how truly talented they are. I mean, that, that really is, you know, being talented will go a long ways. And especially in a world where, you know, people are TikTok famous. Well, that's my next question. (laughs) That's my next question. Because the, you know, with the, with the rise of social media and how much that went over the top. And I think it was the, from a bird's eye view looking at it, I think it's the fact that suddenly individuals had the ability to reach a massive audience that prior to that was sort yeah. of gate it was it was sort of gatekept by larger companies that had the the grip on the airwaves and the grip on all that sort of thing. So suddenly you've got like this the ability to be, you know, a farmer's daughter that takes videos of herself on a tractor out in the middle of nowhere that get, you know, six million views you've suddenly become, you know, a streamer. You've, you've now become your own entity. And that, that, that really seems to change the business, right? Like how bad did the business change after all that stuff? So, you know, there, there's a multitude of factors that I think f- that, that go into something like that. You know, one of the things that I would say to that is the longevity of those people's careers is really dependent on how they figure out to de- develop and cultivate their talent, right? right. Not everybody is Mr. Beast. Um, and probably <laughs> for, for every thousand, you know, people who make it big on TikTok for their five, it's not even five minutes of fame now, it's five seconds of fame. You know, right. they're probably forgotten about just as fast. But, but if they can figure out how to cultivate that talent and pivot it into something more, those are the ones that last. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know that the world is going to have in the future, if, if these influencers and TikTok advertisers and social media advertisers, if that line of, of, of work and engagement is going to be as lucrative Mm. in a world where, you know, um, Netflix, Amazon, and probably someday soon Apple and Disney are going to, you know, have more traditional advertising, 
are, are going to go back to what we use. Like, like, like advertisers have been kicked out of the media space, the proper, you know, television and, and, mm-hmm. and to a certain extent, streaming film streaming space, they've been kicked out for the last 10 years. So a lot of that money has been funneled to individual content creators to kind of fill that void. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wonder about this now. I, I see this all the time on Hulu, but Hulu will advertise to me as a business owner that I can run ads, local ads on Hulu. You know, um, I haven't checked into the pricing yet, but it's probably the same amount, the same pricing that I would pay on an Instagram or Facebook ad. Sure. So like, so like, you know, I, I think that that model of becoming Insta famous or TikTok famous is really going to change. Um, yeah. because you know, like I, I think I, I envision a world where I'm going to be able to hire a TikTok influencer to do an actual commercial and that will live on Hulu local. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've seen this myself coming up through the advertising world and then sort of getting into a space where I started to get followers and then even just doing this podcast and, and the fact that the podcast actually became more lucrative than being a commercial director. <laughs> was like i would talk to the same client and go hey would you like me to do a commercial and they'd offer me a certain amount of money and i go how much would you pay me to advertise on my show which was like twice the amount of money i go well fuck it i'll just do the show so like the like the whole business model really did shift but i I think it's all about where people are looking right it's all about where eyes land and who gets the most attention and it seems like the big battle in the industry right now is the is the battle for attention it's the battle for eyes and it's the battle for time and especially when it comes to a streaming service where it's like the longer you're fucking logged in the the better it is for us because then you're not logging into the other guys you know it it seems like that that's been our battle for at least the past five ten years right i i always say that if you want to beat netflix or amazon or apple or disney you have to build a better mousetrap you have to you have to build something (laughs) that will capture the the eyeballs longer but i mean at the end of the day i'm 35 and i probably spend four to five hours of my eyeball consumption on youtube versus an hour to an hour and a half maybe two hours of of more linear media consumption, you know, watching film or TV shows. So to, to that end, you know, I feel like YouTube has already won the war. <laughs> well, it's interesting, right? Because then, you know, and this is all opinion based, but the this thing, is, yeah. Yeah. The thing that's fascinating is with the success of Barbenheimer, right. And the success, cause the, you know, you talk about a year and a half ago, everybody was like, the movie theaters are fucking dead. Like movies are dead. And that was the big thing that everybody was talking about. And so then the studios were all trying to jump into, and still are, trying to jump into what YouTube does, which is like, let me create an algorithm that is going to feed you cheeseburgers when you like cheeseburgers, and you're just going to get cheeseburgers all fucking day. And that's what they're doing. And then you see that there have been a few outliers with movies where they have marketed them or they have ended up becoming marketed in a specific way where it goes, this is different. This is not yeah. streaming. This is not, you know, walk to the trough and put your snout in it. This is an experience. This is an outward going experience. This is a go out experience. This is something that is absolutely different. And I hope that the business sort of leans back into that again, because uh, when you did have that separation between streaming and uh, being in the theater, you had all these different revenue incomes that were able to make it worth making these movies, make it worth 
uh, you know, doing all this stuff and you weren't just sort of pouring, <laughs> pouring, you know, slot into a trough and you're just going to, did, did you, did you recognize, did you taste what you were chewing on? You don't even know yeah. what you were chewing on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, look, people used to go to the movies to be entertained um, and, and for no other purpose. It wasn't an event. It wasn't a, a spectacle. It wasn't a thing. It was, it was a Friday night. I have a date and let's go watch, you know, Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey. Cause they're, you know, <laughs> hot, sexy people and they're going to be entertaining and funny for an hour and 40 minutes or whatever. Um, I, I, I truly hope that we're, we're, it seems like we may be going back to that in some ways. You know, I, haven't seen it yet but that anyone but you is you know obviously getting great yeah. reviews and and doing better numbers in its third and fourth week you know maybe um i was talking to one of the executives on that film the other day and i was like hey you guys really need to re-release that for valentine's day because like <laughs> yeah i think that that's what people want i think people want the excuse to go out of the house but it doesn't need to be the Super Bowl, you know, sure. it doesn't need to be sure. in a, a Killers of the Flower Moon, a four-hour investment of your of your Saturday. Um, yeah, man. Know, well, I mean, but I still want to go out and take my wife to a movie and a dinner, and I think you know that there, there there are you you see this a lot in Gen Alpha where they're they're trying to shun you know some of the things that we've we've proliferated over the last, you know, they're, they're going back to flip phones and stuff. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, they're like, you know, traditional whatever, but sure. Sure. Yeah. You have like that sort of like 15 year sort of rotation where suddenly yeah. the clothing is cool. And yeah, that happens all the time. And there's, there's something interesting to go back to talk about the theater stuff. I think the big issue is that so much weight has been put on opening weekend for a yeah. lot of this stuff. And so the success of a film is completely dependent upon an opening weekend box office, which I think, especially in the current existence of, uh, you know, the battle for everybody's attention span, uh, really hurts films because, you know, to get everybody to go to an opening weekend movie, and we're talking like each and every fucking demographic, is right. the most difficult thing in the fucking world to do. And especially if you're doing these these giant tentpole films, you know, and you're getting into the $250 million budgets or whatever the fuck it is, it's just failure, failure, failure after failure. And and um, I, well, there's a few questions that I have for you because you might know more about this than I do. And to, to clarify it with the, with the audience that's listening, the reason why opening weekend is such an important thing is that's where the filmmakers the move the studios make their cash right that's the they don't they make the full profit on opening weekend and then after that they make a percentage is that how that works um i'm not entirely sure but okay but i mean the the, the opening weekend really sets the tone for the the word of mouth buzz that's going to drive people there for the remaining weeks and then after that you know there's a lot of pressure from the larger studios to make room for things like your next Star Wars coming out. Sure. So if you have a film that, you know, it doesn't necessarily do well in its first week, it's going to get bumped out of there by the next big tentpole that's coming in. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, and hopefully this sort of wakes some folks up, but look at the success of Godzilla minus one. Like yeah. that's a, that's oh a movie God. that like, it needed time in the theaters. It needed to be out there long enough. People had to go and experience that 
and then watch that film and go, this movie's fucking great. And then suddenly all their friends are going to that movie. And that, that I think the last time I looked at whatever stats for that, they, it was at 90 million income or, or, and it was made for 15 million for that movie. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it should be it should be looked at. I mean, everyone's talking about Barbieheimer, but there are other more interesting movie stories of this year, in my opinion. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Like, uh, I, I I hope that this sort of shakes up the business a little bit, and I'm curious to see what happens with this business because I it just seemed like everybody jumping on the streamer outlet. There was a whole lot of money loss that was happening there, and there's a whole lot of stuff that was like sort of dissolving the way the deals are made in this business and how you can make different forms of revenue different streams of revenue and then i hope that we can go back to sort of the theatrical more traditional route because at the end of the day i feel like the creators get fucked (laughs) i feel like at the end of the day our deals are shrinking and everything is changing for us because of the outlet for these things you know we have less to uses uh negotiating tactics you know and and the truth behind it is is that's because every individual piece of entertainment property is is less and less valuable and it's less and less about the individual pieces as much as it is the global status and the the goodwill and brand of the company and that actually owns the thing and their ancillary and their ancillary businesses yeah yeah right and we saw that change there was a point with internet where i I saw that change where all of a sudden it became more about the logo of the company than it did the content and then a lot of these companies and i'll i'll say it outside of the movie business but you start getting into a lot of websites that existed, I would say, in the early 2000s, they didn't have the capital to create the content that they needed so that they were bringing in this content for discounted rates and whether it was photo content or whether it was like, you know, early versions of YouTube or those other versions of YouTube that are out there were sort of skirting the lines on whether or not it was copywritten material that was up there for a while. It was just getting eyeballs on their businesses and on their logos to build their logo stature up higher. And it it seemed to get even further out of control where you get down to a point where, you know, directors aren't getting listed in the credits on specific streamers for stuff. You know what I mean? It starts to get out of control where it's like, it's all about the knock on the table and the red, you know, the red letter showing up on screen. I mean, so it's fascinating. I'm sure you're dealing with a lot of this stuff in the back end and like the negotiations of how this stuff happens, because I, at least I hope so, because you know, we feel help. I, I know that we, a lot of creators just feel fucking helpless where you're just like these giant companies are, are, you know, they're, the, uh, thankfully they're there because there's a, there's a business for us, but also like, how do we protect ourselves against all that? You know? Yeah. It's, it's definitely a double-edged sword. Yeah. It's cool stuff though. I mean, in general, I love the business and in general, I love everything <laughs> about it. It's just, it's, it's a fascinating thing to sort of make your way through, right? Because when you look at filmmaking, period, right? If you look at the idea of making a movie, some folks sit around, they come up with an idea, they come up with a story, and they're like, this is a really great story. This is something I want to make, right? And then you have to learn how to do that. You have to learn how to make this thing, or you have to l- learn to meet the people that know how to do the things that you don't know mm-hmm. how to do. And then you spend all this time and energy doing this, right? And then suddenly you get to a point where people like your stuff. Suddenly you get to a point where people are like, the thing that you made in your backyard is fucking great. You should make something bigger and you should make something bigger. And then you walk into a room 
then you finally get into that room and you're like, I'm here. You know, you're on one of the lots and you walk into this space and now you're confronted with this whole other angle of the business that they're, they don't teach you in film school. They don't teach you in any of this stuff. And you're just floundering and in, in making your way through it when it comes to the legal angle of all this stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's why it's important to have good reps at your side. That's the hope, man. That's really the hope. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I hope I didn't come off too negative there. I heard you get no, real quiet. No. It's, it's funny because I, uh, I tell people all the time working in entertainment, you know, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, yeah. but there's nothing, there's nothing else different that I could do. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, what is your, like, so you, it seems like you're working real hard. You, it seems like you're pushing your way up. Like what is, what is your goal? What, what is the ultimate goal for you? Do you want to just be like the biggest guy in the industry or do you want to just be running, running strong with the clients that you have? Like where are you at? I, I have been referred to as the next Carl Austin by my peers, but no, <laughs> if any, I, I don't know if anyone, anyone outside of entertainment lawyers knew who that is, but, um, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm really liking what I'm doing now. I started my law firm in 2021. I really want to grow and cultivate my client roster. I really want to watch my clients do cool stuff for the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you know, I'm, I have a feeling that we're just going to keep seeing changes in our industry changes that I cannot even wildly predict. So I think at this point, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm just along for the ride. Well, and dude, speaking of changes, like how is AI changing your job right now? <sighs> Making it a hell of a lot easier um, in, some, really? in some regards, <laughs> at least for me as a lawyer, um, you know, AI is, I, I, I have um, contract AI drafting software now that's specialized for lawyers. And it's, it's, it's amazing. It helps me, you know, save time on things that I, I used to, you know, hire a junior attorney or an intern to spend 10 hours banging mm -hmm. their head against the desk to do. I can now have AI do, do the research and stuff in 30 seconds. Um, so from that aspect, you know, there, there's a lot of positives to it. Um, but there's a lot of negatives in terms of like how that's going to impact the artists and, and how it's going to, you know, Know, kind of de devalue to lessen the value even more of entertainment properties um yeah, and, yeah. and it even and it again makes the makes the whole like where do we go from here thing e even more opaque or or more hard to see um but at the same time you know i find it very interesting in that ai can only ai cannot create things that humans haven't already created mm -hmm. so from looking at it from that lens i'm very excited to see what humans create next because whatever it is has got to be something hyper imaginative um something that we haven't seen before yeah. I'm, I'm, yes, I agree with you. I mean, because right now AI, especially if you're, you know, you, you, if you're working with programs like Midjourney or you're working with these programs that are creating images that is AI driven, they're essentially really exaggerated Google search engines where they're going yeah. through the process of hunting for what exists and then taking those elements and putting them together in a, in a fucking crazy way, in a, in a wild way. Um, but you know, you're right. It's still sort of coming from that root uh, when, I mean, an AI was a big part of the strike and that was a big part of the argument of that. And I think 
the big issue, and I think the big concern that most creatives have, and most creatives that I've talked to you, is that whenever you're dealing with the two sides of the game, right? So you've got the creatives and you've got the business. They're two mm-hmm. different. They're, and when, when something works well, it's because they're all working together well. And there's a respect from both sides of what that other person does and an understanding of how they do it and what they do. But they, I think the big concern that most creatives have are the business folks that barely have respect <laughs> for what the creatives are doing to start with. And now they're potentially going to have access to uh, a program that will give them more leverage over the people that they barely have respect for to begin with. And I think that was the, the, the fighting points for it, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think some of that is cultural and not even just, you know, looking at it between the, the artist versus business lens. Um, I think, you know, as a hyper capitalistic society, you know, growing up as a kid, you were always taught, taught like you can't go to school to be an artist because you'll starve. Right. Right. It's just like something that's ingrained into us as Americans. But I think that, you know, hopefully there'll be enough savvy business people like myself that say like, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have the job that we have. We wouldn't be allowed to make the money if we don't have the artists. Mm-hmm. So like we need you guys to go out and figure out whatever that next thing is. Cause like I ain't figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's a good, it's a good way to look at it, man. I mean, and then, you know, it's the same way, uh, the other way around, like the amount of fucking time at one point in time, uh, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to pick up guitar and I'm going to learn guitar. And I started to pl- I started to pluck away at this thing for about a month, and I realized quickly it's like I've only got a certain amount of hours in my life, and I'm spending so much of my time on how to edit, how to shoot, and how to direct, and all this other stuff. I don't physically have time for guitar right now, and it's the same thing with business, where like. I know a little bit about business. I know what I have experienced and with the lessons that I've learned going through business, but I sure as shit don't know how to draft contracts. I don't know how to do that stuff because of the, the time and the experience that you needed yeah. to be able to do that stuff correctly uh, and honestly, and not just correctly and honestly, but also uh, with the fluidness of the current situation that you're in. You yeah. know what I mean? So this respect, I have respect for both. I love both sides, man. It's the whole business. And my goal, my goal as a filmmaker and as an artist is to have my team of folks that surround me on both sides, whether it's the business and the creative side, all going and having beers together and, and really respecting the shit out of each other. Because I think that at the end of the day, if there is that cross the wall respect then you're you're a giant. You end up going. You progress beyond uh, just being a creator or beyond making some sweet deals. And you you put yourself on a whole new level. You're at like a fucking Kevin Hart level, where you're suddenly at like a, a higher stature because everybody understands and respects what they do. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at someone like Ryan Reynolds right now. He's he's very smart in terms of how he's. Uh, leveraging yeah. his celebrity status to become a, uh, you know, a, a mogul entrepreneur. Um, but I got to imagine he's got some really smart business consultants and attorneys behind him, yeah, helping dude. him build, build that empire along the way. Yeah, dude. And those guys, you know, you never really hear about those guys. 
And that's the, you know, maybe if you, ha- if you're hanging out with Ryan and you get a couple beers, he's mm-hmm. like, thank God for my dude, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's when, that's sort of like the behind the scenes talk where you're like, well, is your dude accepting yeah. new clients? <laughs> that's, that's the networking. That's the networking right there. Yeah. 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 Fascinating stuff, man. I think, well, let me just first say it's been a pleasure to actually have like an open, honest conversation about this stuff with you because. Likewise, likewise. You know, it's like. I, I, it feels like, uh, I know for so many people listening to the show, they've never even talked to an entertainment lawyer. So it's, it's cool to hear your perspective on all this stuff, my friend. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that I got a chance to be here and thank you audience for having me. And, you know, I'm more than happy to come back again and, and shoot the shit anytime. Oh man. Hell yeah. And I'm sure we will find a situation. I'll have questions for you and I'll go, dude, you come back and let's, let's hit it. Feel free to reach out anytime and, and yeah, audience, you know, you can find me on Instagram at last Dean law or check out our website, um, last Dean entertainment law.com. There it is. Show in the can. Great one, man. Whew. It's, I, I, I really enjoyed talking with Josh. And I like to really have sort of, uh, let me be completely transparent with you guys. I am still processing how to handle this sort of stuff as I make my way through this business, right? Because I haven't had my big film yet. I haven't gotten into a situation where I'm making those deals yet. And the biggest fucking fear I have, man, it keeps me awake at night is like, I'm going to walk into this room. I'm going to have met this entertainment lawyer a few weeks prior if I'm lucky. And now I'm going to try to sign this deal and make this deal happen. How do I do this correctly? How do I do this right? How do I not get fucked? And so many of these deals, whether you're talking about making a movie or you're talking about taking on a role, there's a lot of time out of your life. A lot of time that was you developing these ideas and putting these things together, a lot of time shooting, a lot of time cutting, a lot of time promoting, all that kind of stuff. And as I meet people that have been in the business for longer than I have, and I meet professionals and older professionals, you just see this general callousness or or scarring that is sort of surrounding them from deals that were made or from the struggle that it took them to get to that point, to finally getting to that point, managing their egos and then throwing their fucking weight around. It's, it's, it's a crazy emotional business. It's an emotional business. And then sort of navigating that. Are you pissing people off? It, like, did you have to renege on a deal? Did you have to make a better deal over here? And how does that process your career? And how does that process your relationships? And we've all seen movies and heard stories and read books about how this has shaped Hollywood and made Hollywood into sort of the crazy monster that it is when it comes to money making and greed. Is a big part of it too, but I hope I hope that, and I know we just sort of scratched the surface on our conversation here, and there's a much deeper well to sort of fall down into. And to be quite candid and honest with you, I may not be able to go as far down on that well on the microphone because, you know, you don't want to be held liable for <laughs> what is said and what is not said. But I'll try to dig some more, man. And I'll try to let you guys in as much as I possibly can without shooting myself in the face on a mic but uh did you find it interesting was it fascinating was there anything that you learned in here i mean don't expect to come to the show and then walk off the back end going i cool i've got an entertainment lawyer right now but maybe it'll make you think about it a bit more and process what it is that you need and understand how it is that they do things hopefully maybe i don't know 
Uh, it went so quick. I, I made some notes. I'm going to have to listen to this episode again myself, not from the perspective of a guy running the show, but from from your perspective, a listener, because I think there's stuff to find in here. Um, but anyway, as I said at the top end of the show, lots of new stuff on the way, new episodes coming. This year is going to be all about love of the process. It's, all, it's going to be all about right place, right time. And it's going to be all about Love Sandwich, man. Those are the three circling planets that are this podcast. If you subscribe to In Love With The Process on whatever sort of delivery system you have, you'll be getting each one of those. You won't have to subscribe to different shows. As of yet, we're going to keep them all on the same channel so that you guys have them. So you can listen. And let me know, dude. Send me some comments on Instagram. Do you like the shows? What do you think? of uh you know love sandwiches are you guys fans of that let me know once we start doing um lance and i start doing our show together what do you like about that it's a different format it's not the same format as this one so exciting exciting stuff um and uh big shout out to everybody that we worked with this week um i was super excited to ha to get back together we put back the band the band got back together uh, Cruder was out. Our buddy Jarvis, Anthony Jarvis, who hasn't been on the show in years, he was out, and he's so much fun to be around. We were hanging out with Brett and Topher and and uh, Mike Tran, crushing it. Uh, it has been uh, a whirlwind of a week, uh, doing amazing work for Gina, and I'm very happy to be there and supporting her in the background with all this stuff. Uh, I'm proud of her, and I'm proud of the work. Um, so, uh, yeah, man stick around stick around uh i think it's gonna be a great year i really do lots of really fun shit on the way um and uh like i said whether it's through the show or whether it's through the work there's some shit coming man it's gonna be great i appreciate all of you listening i appreciate you being here and i'm gonna let you go man so uh you know the deal i'll see you next tuesday